Now entering Nerdist.com. The Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, Episode 5, The Naked Time. Hello, boys and girls, cats and kittens, people, and other people. It's time for another edition of The Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. From the Empire State, I'm Ken Ray. And from the Golden State, I'm John Champion. Every week on The Mission Log, we do one thing. We take apart an episode of Star Trek and answer a few questions about it. What's the moral? What's the meaning? And does the episode as a whole stand the test of time? And while we will recap each episode before we dive in, it'd be much more fun if you were watching along with us. And the cool thing about the 21st century is there are so many ways to watch Tales of the 23rd Century, including Netflix streaming, Amazon Video On Demand, and of course on DVD or Blu-ray. And if you're playing along at home, oh yeah, you know what time it is. It's naked time. <laughs> Watch out. Uh, for the record, I yeah. would like to say that I am fully clothed while recording this episode. Not me, buddy. <laughs> well, I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew it. Um, so, Ken, let me ask you, yeah. um, if you were to ever touch a drop of alcohol, because that, that is kind of the analog in this story, as McCoy points out. Uh, and I know that you are as pure as the driven snow. Mm-hmm. But if you were to ever touch a drop of alcohol, would, would there be one thing about your personality that would manifest itself to say, you know, take over a starship or, you know, get the sword off the wall and start fighting imaginary villains with it? Oh, dude. You know, it's funny, actually, when they came to the alcohol analogy, I was like, hey, I've been that guy. Hey, I've been that guy. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the night, right? I don't remember. Right. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been I've been um, surly guy. Mm-hmm. Certainly, mm-hmm. I have been whimsical guy more often than not. I'm whimsical guy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's also uh, the the sad, emotive uh, guy represented by Mister Spock. I mean, you know, if 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 we've had, I don't want to say a career of drinking, but if if we've if we've put any time in serious time, yeah, you know, <laughs> right, uh, we've all been at least one or two of these guys. Thankfully, I don't think I've ever been Riley, but we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah, yeah. See, the problem with me is I don't think I would fit on the Enterprise because they didn't have just a very, very tired guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just like a guy who wants a nap. Well, you and, don't, you don't uh, know for certain. I mean, we only saw the people that were going, you know, nuts. That's true. We only saw, they could like, have been the guy, their, the guy yeah. laughing maniacally or, or the guy with the sword, which we'll get to, or the guy, you know, who, who nearly wrecked the ship, which we'll get to. Uh, there, right. there, there may have been. I mean, there are four hundred something people on the Enterprise. We saw maybe ten. Right. I mean, it's possible that all the rest of them <laughs> were just having a nap. We're like, yeah. oh man, I, oh, I got to lay down. Yeah. Although I might be the uh, taking a shower, fully clothed guy <laughs> that we saw on this science station, but we'll get to that. So here's a little bit of trivia for you. Go. Uh, this story is written by John D. F. Black, uh, also with a credit to Gene Roddenberry. And this story was later reimagined for Star Trek The Next Generation. They called it, cleverly enough, The Naked Now. It's kind of like when uh, Sammy Davis Jr. bought uh, the Coconut Grove at the Ambassador Hotel and renamed it The Coconut Now. Um, (laughs) Now, according to Star Trek lore, this episode was the reason that George Takei took on the role of Sulu full-time. You know, he had been in the uh, second pilot, and... um, 
he, he was able to read some of the upcoming scripts and he saw this when he thought, all right, here's something meaty for me to do to run around the Enterprise, sword in hand, shirtless. So this is the kind of role that I want to take. So is that's it, what made him commit. Is that a true story? I, well, that's why I said it's Star Trek lore. To me, it sounds apocryphal. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, I'm sure that uh, it made a good story for someone. It's not a bad story, yeah. No, no, no. Um, and then one other thing, you know, I mentioned it in an earlier episode, and we might find a lot of samples of this, but I like to kind of point them out when they're there. It's another one of those times where the captain's log kind of changes tense. You know, he mentions thing in the log that he actually doesn't know yet. So he actually says, quote, unknown to us, end quote, a new disease is on board. Yeah, it's kind of like we're watching the episode with Captain Kirk. Well, exactly. It's right, like he's right. doing his own director's cut. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is kind of, which is a fun idea. And this, this I thought would be a good chance to take my shirt off. Right. Oh, and we'll get to that as well. What do you want to do most in your deepest, darkest, drunkest heart of hearts? Who do you want to be? And how would the crew of the Enterprise answer that question? The Enterprise is orbiting a dying planet, Psi 2000. The crew plans to pick up a scientific team that was posted there so they can all watch its death throes from the comfort of space. Spock and Lieutenant He Who Is About to Die. Okay, let's call him Joe Tormelin, beam down to a frozen science station and a bunch of dead scientists. Most shocking of all, one of those dead scientists was found in the shower, fully clothed. Joe makes a mistake of taking his gloves off for a moment, and some weird red goo leaps onto his hand. That's going to leave a rash and cause a whole lot more problems. Act 1. Back on the Enterprise, Spock and Joe are decontaminated, but Joe seems a little agitated and more than a little sweaty. He's ordered to rest. In the briefing room, the senior crew talks about the planet's impending doom, but there's still an awful lot of concern over those dead scientists, particularly that one in the shower. Joe heads to the galley for a bite, but he starts going off about man's place in space. A couple of other crewmen, Sulu and Riley, attempt to talk him down, but Joe pulls a knife. He only injures himself in the scuffle, but Sulu and Riley seem to have both been infected by the weird red goo, which first makes you itchy, then makes you crazy. Act 2. Joe is dead from his minor wound, and McCoy is confounded because the knife wound wasn't that bad. Back on the bridge, Sulu and Riley are supposed to be minding the ship's navigational status, but the two miss the cue when the planet's rate of compaction increases. Sulu just heads to the gym, and Riley heads to La La Land, doing his impression of a Lucky Charms leprechaun. Riley is relieved by Spock, and he heads to sickbay where he infects Nurse Chapel. It's like contagion, the way this thing spreads, only it's drawing out people's hidden emotions rather than giving them a cough, or so Mr. Spock surmises. Now comes the moment we've all been waiting for. A shirtless Sulu brandishes his fencing foil and starts jabbing at the crew, and then ends up on the bridge where he attempts to rescue the fair maiden Uhura. Spock dispatches Sulu pretty quickly with a nerve pinch. The Enterprise rocks again due to the trouble on the planet below, but to add insult to injury, now it's Riley in the engine room, pretending to be captain and taking control of the ship. The situation is dire, and with the accelerated decay of the planet, the Enterprise, in its present course, has about 20 minutes to correct itself or come crashing down. Act 3. 
Scotty attempts to blast through an engine room bulkhead in order to overpower Riley, who is in control of all the ship's systems and is still using the opportunity to be an annoyance on the PA system. And, oh yeah, the ship is still about to crash. McCoy is testing the unconscious Sulu, and Spock is heading down to light a fire under Scotty when he notices all kinds of bizarre behavior in the corridors, laughing, painting the walls, harassing Yeoman Rand. The madness is spreading. When Spock makes it to sickbay, he finds a nurse chapel who is, well, she may be under the spell of the contagion, but she's just all hot and bothered and tries to make the moves on the Vulcan. That move, by the way, infects Spock, and he's barely able to keep his composure while Chapel pours out her heart. Spock leaves sickbay, but he's having a very difficult time now and has a full-on emotional collapse in the empty conference room. Kirk heads down with the security team to take control of engineering now that Scotty has finally cut through. There's bad news, though. The engines are completely shut down, and a full reboot takes longer than booting up your Mac. The Enterprise, now in its decaying orbit, is sure to get swallowed up into the ever-shrinking planet below. Act 4. Kirk and Scotty talk over the engine theory and hope that a risky matter-antimatter mix can get them out of this jam. But they'll need Spock and he's nowhere to be seen. Eureka! McCoy has found out what's going on. It's a contagion, all right, but it's basically water restructuring itself into longer-form molecules that act like alcohol on the nervous system. All that sweat has been causing the spread of infection. Kirk finds Spock, who is in the middle of having some mommy issues. In classic old-movie style, Kirk tries to slap a little reason into Spock. Then he learns the hard way that Vulcans are a lot stronger than humans. Kirk realizes his outbursts are because he's been infected, too. Spock is getting just enough grip on his emotions to save the day with science, while Kirk is losing his control and waxing romantic about his yeoman, who's a girl, and the ship, who's also a girl. Spock hustles off to engineering to help Scotty with the risky intermix of matter and antimatter. Kirk heads back to the bridge, and at the last moment, the Enterprise lifts away from the dying planet. In fact, she lifts away super fast, faster than is possible, according to Mr. Spock. Oh, yeah. Uh, after all of that, time is now running backwards. The Enterprise just gained back three days to live over. Hey, that could be a plot point to be used in the future. Woohoo! So aren't they going to be three days early from now on? <laughs> I'm sorry. There was this thing. So, so, so they're, uh, they're orbiting the planet. And mm-hmm. then they, get, they leave the planet really fast, and then they've right. actually gone back in time. So do they not still have the mission now of watching the planet decay? What Kirk says is, okay, let's go on to our next place, and they're going to get there, and they're going to be like, God, we weren't expecting you guys for like another three days. Right, right. But it's going to be early for everything, which, uh, From which is on. great. But it's too bad for the scientists on that frozen planet. You know, maybe they were alive maybe until they... the Enterprise got there. Yeah, hopefully they'll get here soon, yeah, they, they might be saying. <laughs> Or, they said, or is there going to be said three days ago? <laughs> or is there going to be a really boring episode where they just you know chill in space for three days to let everything catch back up? Right, that'd be could. that'd be uh, dull as dull could be. Although I will say, it's a funny idea. And there were also uh, there were some funny moments in this episode. Really, I mean, funnier I think than some of the um, decidedly comedic episodes that uh, we'll see as we go on. Um, right. Particularly Riley and the doors. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's intoxicated by the contagion, um, and and he blows on one at one point as it's about to open. Because you know when you right. approach the doors, they just open. But he does he does cute little physical comedy things. Like he blows on one and it opens, and he waves his hand like a magician at one point. 
and right. and they open. These are things that I honestly have done at the grocery store. I I wouldn't be surprised. I think we all have. Yeah, but you, but you don't yeah. see it on the enterprise very much. Yeah, and so it really yeah. it really was it was cute and 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 actually made me laugh. Um, the other funny moment um is when they've subdued Sulu. Spock turns to security and says. Get D'Artagnan out of here. Yes, one of my favorite lines. Yeah, it's a great line. I don't think, I mean, I I think it probably should have come from Kirk because it's sort of out of character for Spock and he has not gotten the contagion yet. So there's no emotional Mm -hmm. reason that he would have. But it's a great line. It's really well delivered. And so, I mean, you forgive it because it's it's hysterical. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, there's that. And then on the not funny side, the, the goop, it's such a simple effect. I mean, how they did it is just so simple, but... I remember seeing it, I want to say, in John Carpenter's The Thing as well, right? Where, mm. where really all they did was they poured some goop on a slanted surface, but then they turned the camera so it looks like it's a flat surface. Right. And so it looks like the goop is, is, is running along the hallway in The Thing. Um, right. On this one, the, the, the red stuff that infects... Um, Joe. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm forgetting how to pronounce his last name. Tormelin? Tormelin, yes. Tormelin. Joe. With the yep. thing that the stuff that infects <laughs> Joe actually sort of seems to like jump onto his hand from a flat surface. Yeah, and of I course, thought it was really cool. Yeah, what they've done is they've actually dripped something on his hand, but they've got the camera turned sideways, but it, it works. And then slow motion because, I mean, it really is just dripping liquid. So it goes really mm-hmm. quickly. But it was really neat. And again, sort of like a kudos to whoever said, no, this is totally going to work as an effect. Because right. if you said to somebody, no, we're just going to drip stuff on his hand, but it's really going to look good. Well, turn the camera this way and drip stuff on his hand, um, and it does. It worked. I, I thought that that worked out great. So, that, I, th- I, th- those are things that just immediately struck me. I was like, "Hey, that's funny. That's funny," and that is creepy. Yeah. Well, and you know, I thought the visual effect for that was really cool. Uh, the the sound effect of kind of the uh, the rattlesnake sound effect that the virus <laughs> makes every time it moves from one person to another. I thought, well, it, that's all they need to look out for. It's clearly <laughs> making a very loud noise every time this <laughs> virus jumps from one person to another. Yeah. Um, There's a guy with the, a maraca running around behind everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, you got to love the audio cue, especially because if you're out of the room, you know. Because we didn't have DVRs and we certainly didn't have video cassettes or, you know, the DVDs or anything when it first came on. So if somebody mm-hmm. turned their head or somebody looked down after the second or third time that happens and you know, oh, somebody just got infected, even if you're, you know, in the other room making yourself a sandwich. Right, yeah. right. Um, and, and I will say that in all seriousness uh, the, of things that we liked about this episode, I thought the acting was great because you you had this wildly comedic side with typified by characters like Riley but then you've got Spock just really nailing it just driving it home you know he had some great emotional moments out of him so everybody is having fun with this and they kind of get to stretch their acting chops a little bit uh, from time to time that's mostly what happened though they left out the part about the singing that aside, what's really going on in this episode? So one of the things that we said at the beginning of the episode, and that we say at the beginning of every episode, because, you know, it's, it's something that we do in every episode, is we try to figure out what the messages or morals are. And um, I'm not 100% certain there is one this time. Well, yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, I, I don't know that we're necessarily finding a, a, a moral core, 
But I think there are a lot of interesting observations to make about this episode. Okay. Such as? You know? Well, uh, so I mentioned the character thing, and I, and I think this is the opportunity for fans of the show, whether casual or hardcore fans, to kind of see the characters that they know and love expanded a little bit. So, so right away, we're sort of giving something back to the audience. We, you know, I mentioned the, uh, the, the Spock issue, his acting. And in the episodes that we've watched up until now, Spock has really been all over the place. You know, if all you ever saw was the pilot and then the second pilot and a couple of Spock's weird outbursts, you kind of didn't know where he was coming from. Mm -hmm. But now you really define where Spock is coming from and you define his emotional, very deep emotional core and the struggle that he has every single day to keep it in check. Yeah. And in this episode, what we're doing is, you know, I, I asked the question to myself and, and to you in our notes, which is, is the saying that man's true underlying nature is just to be completely nuts. You know, the, this is id gone wild. It, when you get hit with this virus, um, which McCoy later says is uh, uh, something that acts like alcohol and it suppresses the centers of judgment and self-control, well, you really just do go absolutely crazy. And I think there's a very fine line between saying, well, this is what the person already had in them, and it's just sort of enhancing what was already there, or it really is making them act out of character. I think with, Scott, with Spock, we see that really nicely, where we really do see what's under the surface. Mm-hmm. And with, with Sulu, you just kind of have to ask, well, okay, is that... Is that really what he wants to do? Yeah, does he really just want to grab a sword and run around shirtless? Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe he should have said that maybe when they were doing the psychological screening to be in, uh, in Starfleet. Well, I mean, it was, it was deep, wasn't it? It was. I, don't, it was. I mean, it, it, this – and and suddenly, just in the middle of this conversation, and it's not in the notes, but suddenly I, I do wonder – I mean, you could really stretch it if you want to and say that there is a message here about me. <laughs> can you hold your liquor and if you can't maybe you shouldn't hold liquor <laughs> right. and i don't think that that's i don't think that that's honestly one of the uh one of the things uh, i actually wondered whether the message or moral assuming that there is a message or moral in this episode and again i don't think that's a safe assumption but if we assume that there is or if we go you know digging mm-hmm. i wondered whether it had to do with the importance of reason over desire but i'm not sure i'm mm-hmm. not sure that that is the message start though with the two that you were talking about sulu and riley at heart, in this episode, all Sulu wants to do is fence for honor. Right. And there's not even anyone dishonoring him or dissing him. As the Doesn't matter whose honor. No. Doesn't matter whose honor. It's, no. about, it's about honor. It's not even about... You know, so all he wants to do is fence for honor. Uh, Riley, at heart, is an idiot. I mean, he reminds me, he reminds me a bit of... Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Oh, the poor crewman who, who just he beamed down to the planet and ate the stuff that he found on the planet and died. And everybody was like, oh. yeah, that happens. Yeah, I can't yeah, the remember. Man Trap. Yeah, the Man Trap, right. If you have it, Zaz played him, but now I can't remember for the life of me what the character's name was. That's right. terrible. He didn't have a red yeah. shirt. It, that would have been really enough, I think. Anyway, yes. he's an idiot. Yeah. All he wants to do is hold up and control for literally no reason, except for he apparently thinks that you know he deserves to be able to control everything, but he's not even doing anything. What's he want to do? He wants to have a dance and double the amount of ice cream. 
That's <laughs> right. really not officer material, I don't think. So no. in these cases, reason over desire is awesome, and it would be an awesome message. I'm Ken Ray, and I approve this message, right? <laughs> reason over desire, if all you want to do is control things for no reason, double the rate of ice cream, or fence constantly, uh, reason yeah. over desire should win. Everyone but else, you know, it doesn't oh, – I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, well, I, I was going to say, and, and I think you were about to go down this route too. Everyone else maybe doesn't have as extreme a reaction because – uh, Kirk is a great example of this. Kirk is an emotional character. And when he's hit by the virus and he, he has that breakdown with Spock in the briefing room, um, Kirk's desire, his emotional desire is pretty much the same as Kirk, the rational captain. The desire is to save the ship. The desire is to save the people on board. Yeah, there's that whole sexual thing and he's got eyes for Yeoman Rand, but he will never, ever say anything about it. Um, but he's still able to hang on to enough reason to make the right call at the end of the day. Oh, duh. <laughs> what? I'm not sure I agree. No? Well, I mean, if we're assuming that reason over desire, and maybe it's not safe to assume that, if we're assuming that reason over desire, yes, he does make the right call at the end of the day, but his whole speech is about how he can't have what he really wants. What he wants mm-hmm. is a girl. What he wants is Yeoman Rand, but I think he only wants Yeoman Rand because she's there. He doesn't say, I'm in love with my Yeoman. Yep, what he I, says is, you know, uh, I, can't, I can't walk on the beach and hold hands with a lady. And then he's like, like, I, like my Yeoman. Have you seen my Yeoman? I mean, so, yeah. so like what he starts off with is, I want a lady. And then he's like, I've even got this lady right here, but I can't have that lady. Yeah, um, but it, it, the, the thing that's still more important is the ship, eh. you know, e- even in his altered state. That's he, true. Okay. He's more concerned about the ship. Ultimately, that's true, yes, although uh, Spock and Kirk both seem to shake off the effects of the contagion rather, I don't want to say easily. And in, and in fairness to Kirk, I mean, he barely holds it together. He actually sends Scotty and Spock out ahead of him to clear the corridors and the turbo lift because he figures he's got one shot. Yeah, to get from the place where he ha- where he's had his breakdown to the place where he can actually do what he needs to do. The only the only way he is getting from where he is to the bridge is if they remove. I'm right, gu- I'm guessing all the ladies, but I mean, he's just like, he he <laughs> says he says clear the halls and the turbo lift. Right, I mean, and that's and that's, I mean, that's definitely knowing your your strengths or weaknesses. I think, or even in his weakened state, he knew. Okay, I still have to do this. I've got to get you know there. But I mean, I'm still. I'm still not. I'm, I'm still not certain why it is exactly that Kirk can't have both, and and it's sort of the same thing. I mean, this I got the same sort of feeling with Spock. I mean, Spock hates his emotions, and he hates that he hates his emotions, but he mm-hmm. feels that he has to live this way because of his Vulcan heritage. Again, this is reason over desire to a detriment. I think Tor, Tor, yeah. Tormalin, Tormolin, Joe does yep. not want to be in space. Right. At, right at his heart and they even talk about it before he's infected yeah he says to kirk i keep wondering and kirk knows tourmalin well enough to know you keep wondering if we should be in space <laughs> like, I, okay, I think so, i think joe i think joe got some bad career advice from a counselor way well, he, way back in his younger days but he keeps going back re-enlisting yeah. out of some odd sense of duty or or, or maybe self-punishment i don't know because it's not even like he feels like I mean, I almost wonder if you could put Tormelin in the Sulu Riley category. Uh, he's, yeah. he's different, though. I mean, you might be able to argue he's overcoming his fear because he's afraid to be in space. He actually says at one point, if God meant for man to have wings or he meant for man to be in space, he would have given him wings or meant him to fly, he'd, be in, he'd given him wings. 
Uh, so you yep. could say he's overcoming his fear, and that's a great you know example of reason over desire. I think you know if your desire is to is to flee, but you've got to take care of something, or you want to you know face a fear. That's but a great it, example of that. But here's the thing: he's actually he's putting his fear aside to do something that he that it is hard. He's not sure is good. He says they're polluting space. He says they're just abandoning people in space. I'm I'm the whole reason over desire thing only works for the idiots in this episode. <laughs> I think it only works for and Sulu is generally speaking not an idiot. But I mean, if if at his core all he wants to do is sword fight, yes, I applaud reason over desire in that respect. And the same thing with right. uh, same thing with Riley. Well, you know, by the same token, I, I think that what we're seeing is a level of compromise that everybody has made in this kind of in their adult lives. You know, Kirk has made the compromise of not having a romantic relationship with a woman. Spock has made this compromise about his emotional well-being. Um, uh, Joe has made this compromise about, well, not really wanting to be in space. <laughs> and uh, Chapel has had to compromise with the idea that the object of her desires can never, ever return those feelings. So a- every single person, you get this little reveal about, um, uh, about maybe how they're not as happy as they would like to be. And it's some- kind of sad. It is sad, especially yeah. especially for our main protagonists. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. we don't see Bones, unfortunately. He doesn't get, well, because he's a doctor, I guess. Right. He doesn't get infected. Right. Good thinking. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our main protagonists, I mean, you you almost get the sense that at their core, they they don't, I don't want to say they don't like the decisions that they've made, but, I mean, the whole idea that, I mean, there are compromises and there are compromises, you know, yeah. I mean, a compromise, uh, compromise A might be, I have a wife and kid, and unfortunately, I don't get to see them quite as much as I want to, but they are there, and I will come home to them. Compromise B is, nope, no time for wife and kids. I got this ship that I both yeah, love and right. hate, and uh, I'm alone, and it's sad, and Kirk's like, yeah, and your emotions, by the way, they make me ill, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I can't talk about it. I mean, there's a, uh, I don't know, I don't know, it's... Luckily, I don't guess that's actually the message. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you one message that we can both agree on. Yeah, I think that's that uh, we waited a little too long to get a rip shirt Kirk moment, but we get it in Act Four. <laughs> yep, they should really talk to whoever's uh, whoever's supplying their shirts. I know. Yeah, because I, I did. I I almost didn't get the sense that uh, Bones was trying to rip Kirk's shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We almost made it through without a rip shirt Kirk moment. And then within the last five minutes, Kirk appears on the bridge. McCoy grabs the shoulder and just rips it off to uh, hit him with the hypo spray, which, by the way, I think goes through clothes anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I actually wondered when that happened, if it was in Shatner's contract. I I think it was. Was it it really? Okay. It's in my contract with this show. (laughs) (laughs) Which is audio. Yeah. 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 No, uh-huh. I mean, it, it seemed like your skin quotient was actually taken care of with Sulu all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, he seriously does show up shirtless in Act 2 and, and stays shirtless until the end of the episode, I believe. Um, it's buff. Yeah. The, there's, there are a couple of other ideas. I mean, maybe these are messages. I doubt it. But maybe you speak of shirts. A basic black T-shirt is always, always mm. in style, even in the 23rd century. It was kind yeah. of weird. It was it was weird. Maybe it's part of that whole accessibility thing we talked about a couple of episodes back. Like, hey, space isn't so weird. I have a black T-shirt. Yeah. I can yeah. be a science officer. 
I, I think I think it's a handsome look, and, and I think that um, yeah, maybe we just didn't want to see all that Vulcan flesh because we already had uh, Sulu taking care of the flesh quotient, as yeah, you said. He looks be. good. There's, it looks good. And there is also, an, and we learn this time and time again in movies and TV shows and in real life. Uh, the jinx is a real thing because mm. they're talking about okay, so we're gonna have to get it really close to this planet. We're gonna be able to take off. Uh, as soon as we need to. Is that going to be a problem, Scotty? And Scotty says, hey, long as everybody doesn't go crazy. <laughs> he doesn't say that. What he actually says, as long as you people on the bridge don't start taking showers fully clothed, which is, of course, shorthand for, or longhand, actually, for long as everybody doesn't go crazy. Right. You know? And it right. was just like, chuck- the, the only thing missing was the chuckling. Oh, that yes. could never happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it was all Scotty's fault, now that I think about it. <laughs> the plight of Kirk and Spock really speaks to me. I know what it's like to feel duty bound when your heart, or positronic net in my case, wants something else. I mean, what I really want to do is direct. All right, time for the five questions, which we actually like to call the three questions, I think. Um,. What's the message? And it's okay if there wasn't one. What's the message for this episode? And uh, there was no one message is a perfectly good answer. I'm going to go with uh, don't drink on the job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. What a prude. <laughs> How about don't drink to excess on the job? Would that be okay? Okay. Okay. Or maybe, depending, maybe depending on what your job is. If you're a yeah, distiller it, of fine spirits, maybe right. a little drinking on the job. And otherwise, Scotty might have been kicked out a long long time ago no, as long as he's got his little you know technical journals he's happy well you you made a good point about you know reason over emotion you know it's not necessarily a message but but it is a theme that we see in star trek a lot and you know, it, it definitely with- does give you something to think about too i mean and and maybe you could even say there are no maybe it's not black and white maybe there are not to not to bring up something else entirely, but maybe there are shades of gray there. I mean, reason mm-hmm. over desire in some respects is fine so that you don't just pick up a sword and go running down the street or, you know, the corridors of your uh, work, home or office or, you know, starship. Right. Um, at the same time, I mean, I still question whether all of the things that they're giving up are things that actually have to be given up. So, I mean, with no like real decision here, except for do we, you know, get away from the planet and do we stop the contagion or not? What's the moral? Yeah. Well, I, hmm. <laughs> I think that that's the, the, the toughest question out of all of this, uh, because there, there isn't a moral like a, uh, as we like to say, a you see Timmy moment. Right. Um, there, there isn't one of those. I, I think it's an interesting exploration to see the, the emotional underbelly of all of these characters. And maybe you can relate to it. Maybe you can't. Um, but in a work environment, you keep it in check, you know. You uh, you don't bring your emotional problems in with you when you go to work, um, and everybody in the enterprise doesn't do that except when they're hit with a mind-altering water-based virus. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess the last the last question that we always end with is: uh, Does the episode stand the test of time? Uh, to me, it totally does, and and I think it's well. You mentioned the very cool effect with the. Uh, the the liquidy virus contagion uh so we get some pretty nice special effects here um but i think the reason that this stands the test of time has less to do with with style with effects i think it 
it stands the test because it's full of great character moments and it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of, like it's a tight episode. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of things that come at you just from left field. Like if you had not seen this before and you didn't know about Sulu running down the hall with a sword, you know, all that stuff would just shock you and surprise you. So as a piece of storytelling and as a, a better grasp of the characters that we like, absolutely this one stands the test. Yeah, I agree. Especially because it does give you sort of a, it gives you a different, we know that Spock, I believe we know that Spock has human lineage, uh, some human lineage before this episode, but we've always been told that Vulcans have no emotions. Well, it's not that Vulcans have no emotions. It's that that Vulcans train themselves to have no emotions. And that's a very different thing. I mean, it really does uh, further the story a bit. And it gives a certain amount of... um, uh, pathos, I guess, to uh, to Kirk as well. And I know I, I spent most of this time saying Kirk doesn't have to give up those things. But the fact that Kirk has given up those things, next time you're watching an episode and he makes a decision that you're not certain about, you might go, oh, yeah, but remember that time that he was like, well, this is what I really want to do, but this is what I have to do. I yeah. mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, it definitely advances sort of the thoughts and, and, and ideas around the characters themselves. So even if it doesn't have the, you know, eating stuff you find on the ground is bad message, or if it doesn't have the save the trees message, or if it doesn't have the, you know, anti-pollution message or things like that. Um, as, as, as advancing, uh, Star Trek, not just as a, uh, as a platform for a message, but as a, as a more fully realized world, I guess, or a more fully yeah. realized set of characters. Um, it, it's good as far as that goes. And for what you were saying, as far as like, does it stand the test of time, you know, in relation to effects or things like that? Well, you do have that one fairly cool, fairly simple effect that I, you know, they were able to achieve. I mean, the, the thing, what, what must've cost the most was either making the red stuff or turning the camera on its side. I mean, there's no effect <laughs> there. I think this episode actually stands the test of time better because it's all about acting. It's not it's not about the creature. It's not about it's not about lasers. It's not about, you know, you don't have to worry about do these effects work because there are no effects. I mean, it, it's the it's the actors and the characters and the writers uh, showing up and presenting you some, with something. So, yeah. yeah, for a number of reasons, I think this is actually a, this is a very strong episode since the test of time. Well, yeah, I, you know, just to piggyback on what you were saying, I, I think my hat is off to the writer here, because if you think about it, it this is very, very early in Star Trek's run. So you didn't have a lot of baggage before this saying, well, this is who these characters are and this is what they do only. And we're going to stay locked down to that. Here you have this opportunity for a writer to come along and say, you know what, I'm going to add so much more depth and background and emotion to what we've only seen now as this kind of a crew of people working in space. And like you said, this really sets the groundwork for everything that comes after it. Now we can clue into Spock. Now now we can really get a grasp of what he's going through. And now we can clue into Kirk and his constant conflict between duty and his passions. Okay. So in summation then, uh, what's the message? There isn't one necessarily. What's the moral? Don't worry about it. Uh, Does the episode stand the test of time? Absolutely. I'm going to go watch it again. <laughs> it's better than cats. <laughs> For crying out loud. All right. So I guess that, that, that unfortunately wraps up Naked Time. I'm going to put my pants back on. 
And, oh, thank uh, you, Ken. <laughs> no, no. My pleasure. And next week's episode, speaking of that vicious emotional underbelly, it's the enemy within. So join us as we talk about Kirk's dual nature. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Barring the contraction of some rare virus that causes me to follow my bliss, we will talk again next week. and transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.